welcome. Uh, many of us in this room are not from an Anglican tradition. Uh, maybe you're, you're not from a Presbyterian tradition. Many of us are from maybe a non-denominational, general evangelical, or a Baptist background. So maybe the way you grew up, it was strongly emphasized that you needed to have a conversion moment as a part of your story with Jesus. This strong emphasis that you needed to know the day, the hour, the moments that you gave your life to Christ. And we've talked about how that can have an unfortunate downside of minimizing the importance of God's faithfulness in the church. That many of us actually have the story, Pastor Tim has shared that this is his testimony, that you just grew up in a gospel preaching church and there wasn't a day that you didn't know Jesus that you didn't know he was your savior. But there is something actually really beautiful still about the importance of this tradition that emphasizes a conversion moment. You see, each of us recognizes that if we've truly encountered Jesus Christ, our lives should be transformed. Our lives should be changed. There should be this sense that I can't actually walk with the living Christ and not be totally transformed. My, my desires, my hopes, everything that I'm living for ought to be centered around Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so there's this strong emphasis in, in the tradition that, that emphasizes the conversion moment that wants to see your life changed, your life transformed. And again, not all of us have that moment. Many of us just grew up in a gospel preaching church and can't reflect back on a moment, but maybe you can reflect on a season of your faith where it just felt like Jesus was, was fully alive in your heart, where you felt like your heart was, was set aflame by a love for God, that you had this deep passion for the Lord and a desire for his kingdom. Think about that, that time in your life where you were most passionate about Jesus as your Lord. I've shared before about my own story, how I grew up in the church as well. I don't really have a conversion moment story, but I know that as a teenager, God called me into ministry. And so those, those years where I was radically on fire for Jesus were when I was a high school student, a college student, I knew that God was calling me to be a pastor, that I, I knew I wanted to give my life to sacrifice for his kingdom. And I remember visiting different colleges, Christian colleges, to go prepare to be a pastor. And I went to Moody Bible Institute, and you've, you've probably heard me talk about this before. On my visit, you go into the auditorium there, and in the lobby, they have these huge plaques with hundreds of names on them, and they're all the missionaries who've graduated from Moody and gone overseas for the sake of the gospel. And next to dozens of their names are little crosses, and it symbolizes those who have been martyred for their faith. And when you're an 18-year-old kid who's passionate about Jesus, who wants to be formed as a pastor, there's really nothing that can excite you more about a school than seeing a literal monument to those who counted the gospel worthy of dying for. And so I knew I had to go to Moody. I am not the only Moody grad who said, I want to be like them. I want to be so on fire for Jesus that I would die for him, that I would go wherever he calls me. And so as I share my own testimony, I hope you're thinking about a season in your life where that love of the Lord, where that passion for God, that zeal for God was, was at a fervor for you. But we also all know that those seasons can be fleeting. That passion, that love, that, that <laughs> radical desire to serve God, it's fleeting. 
And maybe you're sitting in this room today saying, I do not feel that way right now in my love for the Lord. We know that it's hard to maintain that love of God, that radical discipleship. And it's because the things of this world creep in, fears creep in, guilt for our sin creeps in, and it hampers us from loving God, serving God as we ought. We lose the total peace in our hearts that would cause us to go to the ends of the earth to follow Jesus. In this Advent, we're making this connection between the, the famous phrase, peace on earth and the lordship of Christ. That you actually can't experience peace in your heart unless Jesus is your Lord. That's the only way to actually know the deep, profound peace God wants to give you is if you submit to Christ. But it's in fully submitting to him. These things go hand in hand. A full abandonment of yourself, a sacrifice of yourself to the Lord is where you actually find that deep peace. So today we're going to be in Luke 2, and we're going to see how even the baby Jesus was stepping in as our Lord to bring us that peace, to bring us that, that joy in being his servant. And we're going to see three things in particular in our text. The peace that the Lord Jesus brings into our life is a deliverance from three different things. First, Jesus delivers us from our guilt and our shame. Second, Jesus delivers us from fear, especially the fear of death. And finally, Jesus delivers us from selfishness, from our self-centeredness that so often distracts us from living for our Lord. So open up with me, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ." And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel." And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The first thing I want to notice in our text with you this morning is that Jesus delivers us from our guilt and our shame. And I don't blame you if that's not the first thing that sticks out to you about this passage. This passage clearly is about messianic hope, messianic hope fulfilled, that Simeon has been waiting to meet the Christ, the Messiah. He's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, and now he finally gets to hold the baby Jesus in his arms and declare that God has been faithful to his promises. And we're going to get there. All of that is true. 
that the Holy Family came to Jerusalem to fulfill the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And there's two particular elements of the law we see uh, the family coming to fulfill. First is a law of purification, and the second is a, a law of consecration. And so in the law of purification, there, there were many Mosaic laws about how to be pure. There was this constant reminder within the people of Israel that we serve a holy God and we are an unholy people. And we need to be made pure if we are to dwell in his presence. And so there were all kinds of different laws of purification, but the one that's being highlighted here is one around childbirth. And, and the, the logic there is one of the original elements of the curse the original result of sin was pain in childbirth. And so childbirth is this, this common area of life in which the people of Israel were reminded that they are sinners. And so a woman would be unclean for a period of time after having given birth, and then she would have to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice for purification. So that's the first element that we see going on. But then the second element is that Jesus is being presented in the temple. As a, as a perpetual reminder of the Passover, God commanded that all firstborn sons must be either consecrated to the Lord's service entirely, as you see in the Levites, or they had to be redeemed. An animal would have to be slain to remember how an animal was slain to save the firstborn children of Israel during the Passover when God mightily brought the people of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. And so the Holy Family is bringing Jesus to the temple, seemingly for this opportunity to redeem him. But we see something curious in how they fulfill both of these. When it comes to purification, notice that Luke does not say when the time for her purification came, for Mary's. He says when the time for their purification came. Luke is emphasizing a truth that King David understood. He writes in Psalm 51, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Luke is highlighting this idea that there's purification not just for a mother who gives birth, but for a child born into sin. And that's really curious, because Luke has already shown us that Jesus is no ordinary child. He is not a sinful child. He's a sinless child. So what's going on there? And then secondly, the only sacrifice mentioned is two turtle doves. That was the sacrifice for purification. There's no sacrifice brought for Jesus, presented as the firstborn son. And so clearly he's not actually being redeemed. He's being consecrated to the Lord, given over to God for his complete service. And so here's what we see in these somewhat complicated rituals of purification and consecration. We see the heart of the gospel, something we preach, about, preach on week in and week out, the active and passive obedience of Christ that Jesus came on our behalf to come under the law, to fulfill the law for us. Why does he come and be purified as a child even though he's completely pure? It's the same thing as his baptism. Have you ever wondered what's going on in Matthew 3 when Jesus goes to get baptized and John knows it's a baptism of repentance and he says, shouldn't I be baptized by you? And Jesus says, no, it is good for us to fulfill all righteousness. Everything Jesus did, he did to perfectly fulfill the law on your behalf. For you and me, he came to provide a perfect obedience that you and I cannot provide. 
We read in Romans 8, 3, and 4, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. In Jesus, a perfect obedience to God, a perfect requirement of the law is fulfilled in a way that you could never do it. But then you also see the passive obedience of Christ. Christ did not come to be redeemed in the temple. He came to be the redeemer. He came to be the lamb for you and I. Again, as we read in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. And again, our reading from Hebrews today, Hebrews 2.17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus' passive righteousness, passive obedience to God is that he stands in for the penalty that you and I deserve. He was the lamb slain on our behalf that we might be redeemed. And so you can't miss this intro to our passage. Luke is telling us Jesus came to fulfill the law in every way for you and to pay the penalty for your law breaking. Jesus came that you might be freed from your guilt and shame. And one of the, the key reasons, one of the primary reasons I think many of us lose our grasp on a zeal for the Lord on a, on a heart on fire faith where we are passionately serving God is because we are overcome by our guilt and our shame. We are fearful that this isn't true or that it was true at our conversion, but now I've messed up so much, there's no way Jesus could still have grace for me. And so we let our failures and the temptations we've succumbed to define us more than the heart of the gospel message. And so we need this reminder desperately week in and week out. That's why this is, this is old news at Trinity, why we keep talking about it, because we forget and we don't want to apply it to our own lives. John Owen talks about it brilliantly in his famous work, Communion with God. Objection. But it may be said, surely this course of procedure can never be acceptable to Jesus Christ. What? Shall we daily come to him with our filth our guilt, our sins, may he not, will he not bid us to keep them to ourselves? They are our own. Shall we be always giving sins and taking righteousness? Answer, there is not anything that Jesus Christ is more delighted with than that his saints should always hold communion with him as to this business of giving and receiving. There is nothing that Jesus delights in more than this exchange. This is the reason he came to earth, to take your sins and to give you his righteousness. And so the devil would love for you to believe that you've disqualified yourself, that the grace of God covered some past sins, but now you're on your own, you're, you're, you've forgotten him and therefore you're out in the cold. But the truth is that Jesus Christ today wants you to give him your sins and give you his righteousness. And so if you 
right now are sitting in this room and you know that you are overcome with guilt. The reason that you are not fiery, on on fire for the Lord, loving him, serving him with your whole life is because shame is keeping you down. And you need to come to the table today and remember that Jesus never tires of this exchange. He wants you to leave your sins at the cross and take from him his righteousness. That is the only way to know the peace of God that delivers us from guilt. Look back at the text again, verses 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the, in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel." The first thing we see in our text is the peace that God brings us through Jesus Christ our Lord is a deliverance from guilt and shame. But the second thing we see is that the peace God gives us is a deliverance from fear. If you use the daily office, morning and evening prayer in your book of common prayer to order your devotional life, then this prayer of Simeon is probably really familiar. It's the nunc dimittis, which is Latin for Now you let depart. It's just the first few words of his prayer. And since the fourth century, Christians have been taking Simeon's prayer and adding it to the evening liturgy, recognizing something that we all inherently know. We've kind of insulated ourselves from it in modern times. But in the daylight, we feel powerful. We are are fully bought into the illusion that we are in control of our lives. We are successful, strong people. And then when the night comes, and again, we've insulated ourselves from this in modern times, we recognize the frailty of life, the, the vulnerability of the darkness, the fear that is present at night that I may go to sleep tonight and not wake up again. And, and again, in, in pre-modern times, people felt that with so much more clarity than we do today. And so Simeon's prayer is this reminder that because I have seen God's salvation, I can go to sleep in peace. But for Simeon, it's more than just going to sleep in peace. The reason he's in the temple is because the Holy Spirit guaranteed him, you will not die until you see the Christ. So what Simeon is saying is, Lord, now you are letting me die in peace. Simeon is not afraid of death. And that is the the radical faith we often think of. It's what I'm talking about with the plaques in the auditorium at Moody. There, There are saints who said, I'm willing to go and I'm willing to die for the sake of Christ. I do not fear death because Jesus is my Lord. We need a deliverance from fear. And many of you might be sitting in this room today saying, I'm not afraid of death. I know that Jesus will carry me through death. He will raise me from the dead. But maybe you're afraid of loss. Maybe you're afraid of suffering for his name. Maybe you're afraid of looking like a fool for the name of Christ. And you need deliverance from that fear too. 
And so Simeon is showing us that he was not afraid. Why? He says it in this one little phrase. You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Him seeing Christ was a fulfillment of the promise the Holy Spirit had made to him. Simeon knew God was faithful to his promises, and that gave him confidence rather than fear. Do you know that God is faithful to you in all of his promises? It's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul can say, I can give my life to the work of the Lord because God rose Jesus from the grave. He has conquered death, and I don't need to be afraid of it anymore. Do you know that hope, that peace, that comfort? What we read in Hebrews 2 this morning, that Jesus submitted himself to death to conquer it, that he might free you from the slavery of the fear of it. We need to know this comfort that Jesus is faithful to all of his promises. He will raise all who believe in him from the dead unto perfect eternal life with him. Do you know that comfort? And if you're sitting in the pew today thinking, yes, the reason I don't have a, a passionate, zealous love for God this morning is because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what it might cost me. I'm afraid of looking stupid. I'm afraid of loss then you need to also come to the table this morning remembering that this is a promise. This is a covenant meal. We come to the table every week to remind ourselves that Jesus never fails to give himself to us. Jesus never fails. He is faithful to the very end so that you can have that same hope as Simeon. God is faithful to his word. I know I can face death because he is with me. Look back at the text one more time. Verses 33 through 35. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The first thing we see in our text is the peace that Christ gives us is a deliverance from guilt. The second thing we see is that his peace is a deliverance from fear. And finally, we see here his deliverance or his peace is a deliverance from our self-centeredness, from our selfishness. We hear in Simeon's words to Mary echoes of some Old Testament passages, Isaiah 8 and Psalm 118, where the Messiah is seen as this, this person, this moment of crisis, you will respond either in faith or disregard him entirely. The Bible tells us there is this dichotomous reaction to Jesus. You will either submit to his lordship or you won't. There's no middle ground. And so in Isaiah 8, you hear God talk about his Messiah as the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. 
In Psalm 118, we hear of the cornerstone the builders rejected. And again, Jesus picks up the same image in Luke 20. He talks about himself as the cornerstone, the the stone that the builders had rejected and, and adds to that image. And those who fall on this stone will be shattered. Peter does the exact same thing in 1 Peter. He takes Isaiah 8 and and Psalm 118 and mashes them together. He says, Jesus is the stone the builders rejected. He is the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. What are they getting at in all these images? What are they saying? Again, there is no middle ground with Jesus. There is no such thing as having Jesus on Sundays and living your life the rest of the six days of the week. Jesus is your Lord. He commands your complete allegiance or you're not his. And there's a freedom in that, actually. You see, I think there's, there's this myth that's, that's all over our world, all over the, the Western world in particular, that you as an individual have complete libertarian freedom to choose whatever you want to be, whatever you want to make up your own identity. And the Bible laughs at that. The idea of libertarian free will, that nothing in human nature constricts or determines your actions, that God never predetermines anything, there's nothing in the Bible about that. Actually, what you find in the scriptures, especially Romans 7 and 8, is you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ. Those are the two options. That's it. You are not self-determined. You either belong to the devil, to the world, to your flesh, or you belong to to Christ. A professor at Moody put it this way, freedom is a train running on the tracks and a train off the tracks, that's a train wreck. So you trying to find deeper freedom, individualism, by unshackling yourself from the lordship and authority of Christ is not freedom. It's a train wreck. That is how you find deeper and deeper slavery. And so if you would actually enjoy true freedom, then as a creature, you must submit to the created pattern, the created design by your creator God. Your truest freedom, like a train running on the tracks, is you submitting to the lordship of Christ. And so one of the primary reasons, again, we find ourselves without a zealous, passionate, radical love of God that says we would go to the ends of the earth for the gospel is because we're selfish. It's because I don't want to live for his lordship. I want to live for me. And we've bought this lie that I need to be committed to my own happiness above all else. That's the lie of the Western world. You need to be committed to your happiness. Do you want to find a fast way to be really unhappy? Make your happiness your first and primary goal in life. The actual way to find true joy, peace, happiness is to submit yourself to the lordship of Christ. Do you know that peace of not trying to be your own king, but letting the only good king the only perfect king, the only loving king, lead your life. That's what Simeon is getting at. There's only two options. He either gets all of you or he gets none of you. And so we need to return to look at our hearts. He talks about how Christ reveals what's in the hearts of the people. When you think of the lordship of Jesus, it's going to reveal where you're at. Do you view his lordship as this burdensome, awful drudgery? 
Or is your greatest peace and joy serving Christ? That is where you're going to find true freedom. Don't buy the lie that your freedom is being unshackled from authority. Your greatest freedom is finding the only one who wields authority with goodness and beauty and truth. This Advent, you are invited to look backwards and forwards, to look back at the first coming of Christ and to see that peace on earth has come in Jesus. And if you would experience the fullness of that peace now, you must believe that he's coming again to be king over all the earth and every knee will bow to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do not love you, serve you, honor you the way that we ought. Because guilt has crept in, because fear has crept in, because of our own selfish desires creeping in. And so we need deliverance. Deliver us, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you remove the cloudiness in our hearts would you use this text even today to reveal the disordered loves of our hearts and show us how we need to recommit our lives to Christ? Not just because it's the, the right thing to do, the good thing to do, what we ought to do, but because it's the only way to know real peace, the only way to know real joy, the only way to know fullness of life. We ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.